You are in for such a treat today. I have a very special episode. It's an interview with Shannon Phelps where we are talking about purpose. What is my purpose? What does it mean to be rooted in my purpose? And Shannon is the co-pastor of Reve Church in San Diego. So if you're in the San Diego area, you definitely need to go check out Reve Church. Reve actually means dream in French. So Shannon has been in the Horatio Printing family for the past at least six years. She has hosted so many dream planning parties and I am so excited for you to hear this topic on what it means to find your purpose, what is our purpose, how are we rooted in our purpose, and so it's really going to bless you today. Before I dive into this interview, I want to tell you two things. First and foremost, our Black Friday sale is happening early this year for our dream planners. So if you don't have a dream planner yet, next week, put it on your calendar. It kicks off on Tuesday, November 15th. So mark that in your planner. Get excited. We're going to have some incredible sales. You can actually go ahead and head over to HoratioPrinting.com to check out what's going down, what the discount's going to be, what your code's going to be. All of that can be found on our website. So make sure you check that out. Number two, I would love for you to host a dream planning party. This past weekend, Shannon and I hosted a beautiful dream planning workshop in San Diego. And I would love for you to host your own dream planning party. If you buy a dream planner, whenever you get your planner in the mail, you register it and you unlock all these digital bonuses. There's a course in there and there's also an invitation to host your own dream planning party. I give you all of the party tools you need, including attendee packets, a hosting packet, all of it. So I um, just want to make sure that you know you are invited to host a party and all of those resources for hosting are inside of your planner. You just pop into your planner. There's a QR code inside. You can click that and go to your portal, your digital hub portal. And in there, you will find all the bonuses. We have a wall calendar in there, a free Bible study for you. There's so many big bonuses this year for every person that buys our dream planner. So would love for you to think about hosting your own dream planning party. It's so, so special. And so let's go ahead and dive into today's episode. Hey dreamers, welcome to the dream planning podcast. If you've been led here, I believe it was on purpose. You are created and loved by God, and your life is full of purpose. If you've been sitting in a season of searching or unfulfillment, and you're ready to change your life and hear from God, this is the podcast for you. Hi, I'm Polly Payne, the CEO and founder of Horatio Printing, and I'm here to lead you in tactical, practical, faith-led trainings to help make your God-sized dreams a reality in your life and your business. Your dreams matter because you matter. So open up your planner, pour a cup of coffee, and let's dream together. Hello, hello. I'm so excited for today's episode. I have the one and only Shannon Phelps, and we are going to deep dive into a conversation on purpose. Shannon and I led a beautiful dream planning workshop in San Diego this past weekend. We're actually recording this before the workshop, but when you're listening, the workshop will be over. We had a message on this topic on Sunday, and I'm just really excited for you to dive in because we're going to talk about your purpose and what it means to be rooted in purpose. So if you want to learn more about your purpose and your calling, grab your journal, grab a pen, grab a cup of coffee, and let's Mm -hmm. dig in. 
So Shannon, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Yay. So tell the dreamers a little bit about Shannon. Well, hello, dreamers. My name is Shannon Phelps, and I currently live in San Diego with my husband and our two children. I have a 15-year-old daughter and a 13-year-old son, and so that's fun. We're in the teenage years. Todd and I have been married for 21 years, going on 22 in May next year, and um, we've learned a lot, and also we are church planters. That's something I never really thought I would say. But we are church planners. We've always been involved heavily in vocational ministry, but never really considered ourselves planters until 2017. We were living on the East Coast and we felt the call. We felt God calling us to something more. And we weren't really sure what that was, but it turned out to be church planting. And one of the cool perks about planting your own church is you get to pick the location. So We um, are from Charleston, South Carolina. We lived in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I'm sure you can hear a little bit of the accent, Mm -hmm. but we were really drawn to San Diego and that is where we planted in 2019. So here we are. (laughs) That's amazing. That's amazing. So I have had the privilege of hearing Shannon's testimony, and I would love for you to share that here, if you don't mind kind of explaining your journey to Jesus, really. Yes. Yes. Thank you for this opportunity. I love sharing my story because I am the least likely pastor's wife um, ever. I started out with another title and that title was cool mama. So I, I have a lot of energy. I'm definitely a people person and I love to get people together. And I used to love to get them together and party. So I was in high school, you know, senior class president and I was homecoming queen and just really popular in the sense of, you know, likability, but Mm -hmm. internally I had no clue to who I really was. I was just pushing past boundaries. I really had no boundaries at at one point and um, just living for the moment and living for the next event. And it was pretty chaotic. I started, you know, really receiving a little bit of the consequences for that in high school, but um, not so much until I went to college, did it really start getting a little more dark, you know, as you continue down a life of just rebellion and sin, you know, sin is, is fun in the moment for a season, but then it starts to really tear your life apart. And thankfully I had a praying mom and my mom, you know, really just got down on her knees for me and really, encouraged me to always look back on my faith and go back to my faith when things were difficult. And ultimately she invited me on a mission trip to Jamaica, which I had no desire to do the mission part of the trip in Jamaica. (laughs) I had a lot of desire to meet Bob Marley's cousins and, (laughs) you know, party and all of that good stuff. So I remember like packing up like my cigarettes and you know, getting my stuff together and going on this mission trip with my mom. And it was on that trip that I actually encountered the love of Jesus. I think, you know, God is so kind and he's so good that he pursues us in the way that we need to be pursued. And it was kind of in the setting of being on a mountaintop in um, the lush forest of Jamaica with these rowdy, you know, passionate women singing um, to Jesus, like, you know, worshiping God. Mm -hmm. And it just, 
got me out of my normal routine for just enough that I let my guard down for just a minute. And in that moment, I felt like God just hugged me. Mm-hmm. And um, it was through the pastor that was speaking that morning and through my mom sharing her story that I just released my hold on this little life I was trying to create outside of God. And um, he, I felt like he hugged me and I hugged him back and came back from Jamaica. My <laughs> roommates were very confused. My boyfriend at the time was very unhappy. I had created this little epicenter of everything flowing out of me to them and like a life of just partying and like living in the moment. And here I was, you know, staying home on a Friday and Saturday night, voluntarily like reading my Bible and praying and repenting for days and weeks and months on end of like all this stuff that I had gotten into and all the people that I had impacted in, in, in kind of like a negative way. So I began a journey at that point, letting God into my life and living life on purpose um, with him at the helm. And it's been incredible. It's been you know, 22 years now, 23 years that I've been walking with him. And I can still tell you, he's very kind and patient. Yeah. I also have a a praying mom and I was very much like the prodigal daughter in college and then moving off to New York. And she just kept praying and lo and behold, she realized and learned that God was in New York city <laughs> yes. and prayer works. And I found my way back to Jesus and his loving arms. And like you said, he's so patient with us. He's such a gentleman. He doesn't push himself into, uh, I mean, he, he shows up, but like, he's not going to force you, you know, and he was so patient with me too. And so I see a lot of similarities in our story for sure. Mm-hmm. And, and thank God for praying moms, you know, that their prayer matters. So that is beautiful. I love that story. And thank you for sharing that. And I'm excited to dive into this topic of what is your purpose? I've really found, you know, in talking about purpose and meeting with people inside of the Horatio Printing family and trying to figure out what your dreams are and what dreams you should go over. And, you know, is dreaming, is this dream good or not good? And which one is my purpose? I've really found that, you know, purpose is tricky. Don't you agree? Yeah. yeah. Yes. <laughs> And it can be elusive and it's like, how do we even define it? And then if we don't know how to define it, how on earth are we going to pursue it? You know, (laughs) and purpose, let's be honest. It honestly, it sells. It's the topic that most books are written on. Like, I think it's one of the top topics of the best-selling books all are, you know, this is your purpose and the purpose-driven life or whatever, you know, and it sells well because we want to know, like we want this crystal ball of what am I going to do in my life? What really matters? What should I be looking for? And what I see is frustration and confusion around the topic. One layer of frustration is the first layer of what is my purpose? We have so many voices out here, blogs, Instagram stories, and influencers and pastors and everybody telling you different things about what it is. And you know, is it found in my career? Is it found being a stay-at-home mom? Is it here? Is it there? Like, I don't know where to start. And then the next layer of frustration or confusion is we start to find something we like to do. Maybe something lights you up or you get a wild hair to do a big dream. And you're like, is this my purpose? You know, like, like you were saying, like, are you my mother? Like that book, you know, are you, are you my purpose? Are you my purpose? And we were like, is this God's will or not? How do I know if this is God's will? And that's 
confusing and frustrating. And then the last group of people that I see when it comes to purpose is people that are like, I have zero time for my purpose. Like, I don't even know. I don't have time to look for it. I am surviving. I am trying to keep children alive. The house is a mess. I'm trying to just do my job, make my income. I have no margin for daydreaming on purpose, whatever that's supposed to be. And you're just, you're just kind of giving up on that idea and you're living, you know, you're surviving. So that's kind of what I'm seeing in this space. And I just really was excited to have this conversation with you and kind of clear up the mystery and also dive into what the Bible says our purpose is. So Mm -hmm. here's the definition guys, those of you listening, the definition of purpose, according to the dictionary, right? According to Webster, is the reason for which something is done or created or for which something exists. So it's the reason you're created or the reason you exist. And have you ever wondered why? Like, why am I here? Like, why Why did God create me? Why am I on the planet at this time? And it's a great question. And culture really, when it comes to purpose, it points to your job or these milestone moments, right? Even as a child, you watch these movies and you're like, all right, my purpose is to have this important job or my purpose is to fall in love. That's what the movies do. It's like once they find their person, well, life is good. You know, that's their calling. That's their purpose. It's to have that that one and only person choose me. And if I can have that thing, once you unlock a level, you want the next one. It's like once I have the baby, I will have value. Once I have the marriage, I'll have value. Once I have the career, I'll be valuable. And we're looking for these milestone checkboxes or you know milestone moments to finally give us the value you want. And uh, my friend Kat Harris, she was on the podcast last year. She wrote um, Sexless in the City. She was talking about, I love it. She was saying how as a single person, she's always felt kind of JV to all of her married friends mm-hmm. that are varsity. Isn't that such a good analogy? It's like, you're, it's just like, oh, well, I'm just not as valuable. You know, if I am not, yes. not wild, like it just really clicked for me. I love Kat. I didn't know you know her. You knew her. She's awesome. She is awesome. She is <laughs> awesome. But what I've kind of learned over past couple of years of studying this and working with people and just sitting with Jesus is you exist for such a bigger purpose than your career or falling in love or one of these milestone moments that culture has told you, you have to have to have value. Yes. Your purpose has a lot more to do with who you are becoming rather than what you do because our purpose changes from season to season from one year to the next from one city to the next city, like God works in transforming you to become in his image. And as you become in his image, you will do what you're supposed to do. Not only that, those dreams that you want so badly, like I want to start a business or I want to be married or whatever it is, you have to become who you're called to become to sustain that dream you want to sustain it. Right. I had to grow so much in order to stay married and I could not have done it without Jesus. I remember, you know, looking for years and years for the right person because I wanted that validation and I sought that in relationships. I wanted to be married and to be chosen so I could feel 
valuable. I knew my dream and purpose was to be a wife. And so I looked to, you know, fulfilling that purpose in meeting my husband. I remember meeting Luke in 2012 and I was like, oh man, he's a keeper. Like (laughs) this is it. I wrote it in my journal. And of course I did not tell him that because I didn't want to freak him out. But spoiler alert, my purpose was not found in Luke. My purpose was found in Jesus. And the way that purpose looks on the outside in terms of what I'm doing changes season to season. So I guess I just want to like kind of wrap up this chat on purpose in terms of like, it's okay to be wrestling with your purpose. You have to embrace that wrestle and embrace the journey because the purpose is a journey, right? It's not these milestone moments. Purpose is a lifelong process and it's all about becoming and growing. Yes. Oh my gosh. That's so good. Cause purpose can be, like you said, so tricky. I love how you just broke all that down. I think that's why I really gravitate towards your dream planner, Polly, because you incorporate that every quarter, this whole becoming um, assessment and really just great questions to ask yourself. Like, who do I need to forgive? Um, you know, mm-hmm. what is, where am I being generous? Like some of these things that are just you know, honestly, accountability to what's going on on the inside. We focus so much on the outside, but purpose is about who we're becoming. It is a lifelong process, not a milestone moment. So yes, we want goals. We want big dreams. We want to create that bucket list at the beginning of the year, but it is in the day-to-day where God is transforming us. And I'm just glad we're not alone in this and that the Bible, you know, records the lives of many men and women who are wrestling or who wrestled with their purpose, just like us. So There's one woman that I'm excited to talk to you about. I definitely resonate with her. And if it's okay, we can go ahead and jump into the scripture. Yeah. yeah. But in John chapter four, um, I just, yeah, the woman there, she's affectionately referred to as the woman at the well or the Samaritan woman. We don't even have her name, nor do we even know how old she was, but we know that she had a surprise encounter with Jesus one day and it changed her life forever. So we pick up the text. If you want to go there in John four verses one through seven, kind of give you the context. I'm just going to summarize it for us. Um, Basically, Jesus and his disciples are traveling all around from one town to the next. You know, Jesus is on the scene now. He's not hidden anymore. He's he's like turning water into wine. He's healing people. People are coming to faith. People are getting baptized. It's really dynamic. But Jesus and his disciples did have some enemies or sometimes I like to refer to the Pharisees as frenemies because they were like nice to him, but then also behind his back trying to kill him. So the religious leaders of the day, they had some problems with him, with Jesus and and the miracles that he was doing because it was making him more popular than them. So scripture tells us that Jesus and his disciples decided to move on. So they left where they were in Judea and they were going back to Galilee to let things cool down a little bit and surprising his disciples, Jesus says, Hey, let's go through Samaria. And they're like, what, you know, I mean, Samaria was in the middle. It made sense. Judea is to the South. Galilee is to the North, you know, Samaria is in the middle. It's like, let's, let's go through Samaria. But the Jews at that time, there was this whole cultural war thing going on where they despised the Samaritans because they were Jews who had intermarried with non-Jews and followed this like different religion. So again, I don't understand it. I didn't live there, 
but it was so a thing that most Jews traveled out of their way to avoid going through Samaria, but not Jesus. Okay. So Jesus is like, guys are going through Samaria and they don't, they don't ask questions. They're like, okay, let's do it. And then they arrive at the 7-Eleven. I mean, you know, the water, the well (laughs) around noon and they're tired. They're thirsty. They're worn out. They've been doing a lot of work and they've been traveling. And so it says that Jesus sits wearily by the well. And I want to pick up and read verse seven. And as he's sitting there tired and hot, the noonday sun's coming down. It says, soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water. And this is our girl who we're going to talk about today. And Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone to the village to buy some food. So he's alone. She's alone. Middle of the day. They're both hot and sweaty, tired. The woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. And so she says to Jesus in verse eight, I believe you are a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Right? So this got this uncommon conversation happening. She's super surprised because she's like, you're a Jew. Why are you talking to me? I know you guys don't like me. Why are you even here? And then Jesus replies to her, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Okay. This is a total side note, Polly, but this totally opened up my eyes to see that God always wants to give us way more than what he is asking us to give. Oh, that's good. He asked this woman for a drink of water, but in the next sentence, he tells her he has gifts for her that she cannot even imagine. They are so good. I mean, he is, have you ever experienced that? Like God asks you for something, maybe he prompts you to like overlook an offense or, you know, respond to a nasty text message with something sincerely kind or help someone out or check up on someone. And you're like, are you talking to me? Like, I don't, I don't know if I have time for this. I don't know if I have time to like do that. I've got things to do. And we just don't know. We don't really allow ourselves to, to imagine the gift that he has for us on the other side of our obedience. It's like, he has these gifts and our yes to him, unlock them. But Anyways, that's a total side note, but Polly, tell us what happens next. What does our girl at the well do? How does she respond to Jesus's offer to give her this gift of living water? So I love the woman at the well and I relate to her. She's a little bit sassy. (laughs) Yes. She's also completely logical. Like he says, I can give you water. And she's like, you don't even have a bucket, Jesus. (laughs) You know, she says, Sir, the woman said, you don't even have a bucket and the well is deep. So where are you going to get this living water? (laughs) Are you greater than our father, Jacob? Are you? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. And Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water I give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up for him for eternal life. She believes him. She sees it. And she says, sir, give me this water so I don't get thirsty and I don't have to come draw water anymore. And he says, go call your husband. He told her and come back here. And she said, I don't have a husband. And Jesus 
knows her, right? Jesus knows her so deeply. And this is where he truly starts to reveal his divinity to her. He says, you have said correctly, I don't have a husband for you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. So Jesus kind of called her out, but also showed her, I know you. And I'm sure at that time, she was like a little bit of her shame was revealed, right? Because she's been with many people. The person she's with is not her husband and he knows her. And she is at once seen, exposed and known. And it doesn't say that the woman ran off crying. You know, she, the way he was talking to her was obviously a way that made her feel safe and known. And I think that's what we want so badly, right? Is to be known. I'm sure he spoke to her with love in his eyes. He was love with skin on. She didn't run away from him. She wasn't offended by his truth that he spoke over her. He was proving, I know you. And like Shannon said, this woman, she was a part of a group that's outcast. Yeah. And she showed up to the well at noon, which is not the best day to go draw water because that is the heat of the day. Most of the women in the village would go together because their safety in numbers, right? Women are not super duper safe on their own in this society back then. And so they would travel together in the morning, in the cool of the day to go get their water. This woman came in the middle of the day, meaning she was outcast from her society who was outcast from the Jews. She was an outcast of the outcast. So people yes. probably talked about what she did and, you know, how many husbands she had, and she didn't probably have a lot of friends. So to be talking to a man, a stranger who was a Jew who mm-hmm. knew her, this was shocking for her, right? Yes. I, lo- I love what you said about, Shana, I love what you said about God asked so little and has so much. Mm-hmm. Reminded me of a story of a friend who was putting his toddler in the car seat and he was just screaming, crying, but he loved holding his dad's keys because he had like some play keys. And so the dad handed the car keys to the toddler so he would stop screaming while he could buckle them in because they were late. And then the dad gets in the front seat and he's like, where are the keys? And he turns around and his toddler has them. And he's like, give me the keys. And the toddler's like, no, give me the keys. And it's the same thing with us. Like God's like, I need you to give me this little thing because you have no idea that that's actually how the car starts when we go anywhere, right? Yes. It's, like, it's like a one little, you have no idea what one little act of obedience can unlock and it change, true. right? So yeah. Are you like launching or planting your church and like, look where you are now you're on the other side of the country. You know, it's just wild. But um, anyways, back to the woman, I just love her so much. And once she really saw that, you know, Jesus was more than just a regular man, she Mm -hmm. said, I see that you're a prophet. And so she asks him this question, which is kind of off to me. It says, I see you're a prophet. 
Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but the Jews say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. So she immediately <laughs> jumps into a religious debate because it seems like, okay, well, Jesus knows a lot of things. He's a, he is a knower, right? He's right. some sort of supernatural person. So let's, let's clear up this religious debate that everyone satiates on, you know, and Jesus is <laughs> like, no, 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 no. I'm not here to, you know, say who's right and wrong in the cultural debates of today and the religious debates. He said, believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. So he's like, neither one is right for what's happening. You're, you're missing the point. She said, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. Our salvation is from the Jews, but don't even worry about that. That's not what I'm here for. He says, but an hour is coming and now is here when true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth. Yes. yes. The father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And the woman says, I know the Messiah is coming who is called Christ. And when he comes, you know, he'll clear up everything. And Jesus says, I, the one speaking to you am he. So this is the first person that Jesus truly like reveals that divinity to, and it changes everything. Yes, it does. You know, what's so beautiful is right after Jesus truly has this encounter with her, she goes off and starts living her purpose for the first time. And, you know, she, I can relate to her so much because she was seeking that worth and validation in relationships. And I was doing the same thing. It's so easy to do, you know, and for once she truly felt known and seen and loved through Jesus. And I think that is truly where our purpose comes from, right? It gave her confidence. Yes, definitely. Because she's a whole new woman after she meets Jesus. When you were just describing how just the love of God, it just made me think of, I think you've read this before, but it's Tim Keller. And he has this quote about to be loved, but not known is comforting, but superficial to be known and not loved is our greatest fear, but to be fully known and truly loved as well, a lot like being loved by God. And he's Mm -hmm. in a marriage book, but essentially it's the love of God. God knows all of her faults. He knows all of her shortcomings. He knows all the ways she's missed it. And yet he's gone out of his way to have a one-on-one conversation with her and allow her to be the first to hear him say out loud, I am he. I mean, it's just it's remarkable. I can't imagine how seen she felt in that moment, but her actions tell us, you know, we don't have her account of this. She's not saying, you know, I felt this way or, you know, she can't really tell us her testimony, but we Mm -hmm. see in her actions that that one encounter changed everything. And she went from hiding to declaring, Hey, come and see, this is what happened to me. Like she went from being like, fiercely independent, you know, on her own, like taking care of herself, like making kind of like her own decisions. I mean, I can relate to that. I'm super independent. Mm -hmm. I don't want to wait around on anyone, especially if I feel like you're not, you know, approving of me, you know, I'm, I'm out. I'll go do this on my own. But she went from that to being 
fully known as a woman, you know, basically as a woman who was the first evangelist in her town. I mean, it says in verse 28, then the woman left her water jar. So she didn't even come back with the water that she went to the well to get Mm -hmm. and went into the city and began telling the people, come see a man who told me all the things that I've done. Can this be the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed? So the people left the city and were coming to him. And it's like, wow, she went into the town to tell everyone, come and see when she was hiding from them or being fiercely independent on her own before this encounter. I love that she goes right into being more of who she was. I feel like God, that we have this misconception, at least I did. When I came to Christ, I thought he was going to make me something I was not. I thought I was going to like be a nun or I thought I was going to have to like not be fun or, you know, have friends or even have gatherings and and parties. I mean, again, I was having unholy parties. (laughs) I'm still literally, I just became when I, when God came into my life and changed me from the inside out, I just became more of who he created me to be. I just became more like actual Shannon, like the Shannon that he designed me to be. I still throw all kinds of parties, but they are so much healthier for you. Everyone gets home safely. You know, like I, I didn't become less of who I was, it became more. And I feel like the lady, you know, we don't know her name, but this woman, I mean, she was bold. She was gritty. She was Mm -hmm. the woman for the job. Mm -hmm. And I just love that he called her out to fulfill this awesome purpose. And so I love that too, as you go into the story and you can read it on your own guys, but please do. It's so good. But Jesus ended up staying there for a couple of days and hanging out. And all of these people came to faith from spending time with him. First, they came to see because of her, Mm -hmm. but then they came to faith. And they say this in the last verse here in 42, we no longer believe just because of what you said. For now we have heard him for ourselves and know with confident assurance that this one is truly the savior of all the world. Wow. It's so good. I just love it. (laughs) It broke out revival, you know, like her encounter. And then she used her gifts. Like, obviously she, you know, I'm not going to beat around the bush. She got around, you know, Mm -hmm. she was a people person. You could say. (laughs) And uh, God had gifts. He deposited in her of spreading the news and those gifts were always meant for growing the kingdom. I had a similar mm-hmm. encounter when I was really um, having this moment with God, an epiphany moment of starting Horatio printing even. And I really felt like God was like all these people skills that I gave you mm-hmm. that you've been using in your corporate sales job those were gifts that I gave you for my kingdom, you know, Mm -hmm. your people skills or schmoozing clients, whatever it is like, those were for me. I know you've been using it over here, but this is going to be a ministry, Polly. Mm -hmm. And I remember being like me, (laughs) you know, (laughs) look at, look at who Jesus used, you know, like not only a woman in that day and age, but um, a woman from an outcast society that people would go around the town to avoid And in that group, she was outcast from her own outcasts, right? Yeah. Um, So I think it's just so reassuring that God truly wants to use us, you know? And so I think we're going to dive into, we're going to wrap up this episode with three ways to be rooted in your purpose and how you kind of take some action today 
So the first step in being truly rooted in your purpose is to accept the love of God. That's something she mm-hmm. had to do. And, you know, we don't get this face-to-face encounter, not yet at least, like this woman did at the well, but you can rest assured that Jesus loves you. You know, mm-hmm. he sees you, he accepts you and we can know, oh, God loves me. You know, maybe you've heard that your whole life and you've sang song, Jesus loves me, this I know. But Mm. you know it in your head, but you don't feel it in your heart. You think, no way, you know, I'm not good enough. I'm unworthy of his love. And it's easy to struggle with that. I love my daughter so much. I love my little Jane. She's like my shadow. Mm. And she has recently acquired this complete and utter fear of our trash man, the trash truck. And I was putting her to sleep the other night few weeks ago, actually. And she was all tucked in and she said, mama, the trash truck's not going to come pick me up. Is it? And I said, no, <laughs> no, that's weird to ask. I mean, she always says the most random things anyway, but that was a new, new one. So she goes to bed and the next night she asks the same question. The next night she says, trash truck's not going to come get me and pick me up. Is it? And I said, no, honey. And I'm like, what on earth is this obsession with the trash truck? And then The next day I was taking the trash out and she was following me and I put the trash into the big trash can. She goes, oh, well, the trash truck's going to come pick that up. Right. And I said, yeah, because it's trash. Yeah. The Mm -hmm. trash truck's going to pick it up. And she looked at me and said, well, trash truck is not going to pick me up, is it? I said, no, honey, (gasps) you're not trash. And she looked up at me like confused and shocked. Like I'm not trash. No. And I said, no. It was like heartbreaking as a mom. Like, what am I doing wrong? (laughs) You know, like you're not trash. I said, honey, you are treasure. You are treasure. You are so wonderful. Like the trash chick is never going to pick you up. You are not trash. Mm. She goes, I'm treasure. I said, yes, you are treasure. You are valuable. And as a three-year-old, you know, it's funny. And it's like how, you know, silly for her to think that about herself that, you would think that you're a, you know, a bag of trash. Like, of course not. you can look at this three-year-old and think that, but how easy is it for us to mm-hmm. devalue ourselves or think I'm not worthy? Or maybe someone spoke something over you and said, you know, you look like trash today, or, you know, they said something to make you feel unworthy, or maybe you were in a relationship and you felt discarded, yeah. unnoticed, Uh, left behind, you know, ignored, like someone just kind of forgot about you or you feel forgotten and you start to feel those feelings and you start to embrace the labels Mm -hmm. that you were given. And I have, you know, I just want to tell you today why you were created. You are treasure and God does not make trash. You were created on purpose for a purpose by a loving God who knows what he is doing. I don't care what anyone has Mm. spoken over you. You are treasured and loved. You are a child of God. And because he created you, he wants to use you. He doesn't create things he doesn't use. So you have to accept that love today in your heart. That is really the first step to being rooted in your purpose is to accept that love and know you are valuable just because you are loved by God. It doesn't come from that next thing that you feel like you have to obtain or show to be valuable. Now, the next step, 
I'm going to jump right through. The next step of being rooted in your purpose is eliminating distractions. If you want to walk out the purposes that God has for you, you have to cut away the things that are holding you back. And there's two real areas of distractions. We talk a lot about this in the refocus cloud, right? We go through, which is inside the planner, you know, what are your passions and your obligations and your focuses and your distractions. And there's two big parts of distractions. There are heart distractions and time distractions. Times are those activities that are truly holding you back. Hebrews Mm -hmm. 12, one says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us cast off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. We have to create a list of every distraction that is holding us back, create an exit strategy and execute it. This is how I started that first refocus cloud based off of Irwin's instructions. And by removing the distractions, you're going to have margin and space. And that's really this transformation process you go through to become who God wants you to become. And you're not doing this in your own strength and by yourself. It is through the Holy Spirit. It's it's a process you invite God into. Yes. Um, and it's you can see it right here with the Samaritan woman. Like the first thing she jumps into as soon as she realizes, oh, this guy's a prophet. She asks about this big religious debate. She's distracted by this big religious debate of, are we supposed to worship here or there? Tell us, because you're a prophet. We want to know who's right. I want to know that I'm right in my debate. Right. And we're distracted (laughs) by debate and we're still distracted by debate in 2022, you know, for sure. And so what do you need to cut out of your life? What needs to be eliminated? If God was fully in charge of your schedule, what would he erase? That's really that next step of transformation and pruning and just maturing as a Christian. Yes. That was a very good one for me to eliminate the distractions. I love that you hit that one. I do that once a week. <laughs> like there is so get in there so easily. So the last step that I want to give you guys, um, just to follow up on what Polly has said is staying connected to community. I love that she went to the well alone, but she came back with so many of her fellow villagers, you know, mm-hmm. like she was kind of isolated. And then she became a part of a community. And that's what God does. He puts the lonely in families. He restores us to himself. And he also restores us to others. He's all about relationship guys. He wants your relationships to thrive and that will help you on your purpose journey. Okay. So being rooted in purpose is, is going to require that we stay connected to others. Okay. So it it does matter who the others are, you know, you want to be around not solely, but mostly um, people who are building you up, people who are cheering you on and people who are challenging you, um, inspiring you to take the next step. When I first met Polly through her resources, you know, I didn't know Polly Polly. I just knew her Horatio Printing resources. I got to know her a little bit more and her life started inspiring me, not just the things that she created, like her, her diligence and perseverance to run her race began to inspire me. But Polly wasn't in my circle. Like I had to have, that was out there broader, you know, like we have people on social and people that we admire and inspire us from afar, but 
in my own life, I had to look around and go, who are the women that are inspiring me right now? And can I get them together? And so I started to do that. And maybe that's your next step, you know, um, look around in your church, look around in your small group, look around in your, in your life and say, who can I intentionally meet with, see, like get together with on even a quarterly basis. So we can stay connected to community, stay connected to people that inspire us, stay connected to people that are pursuing their purpose every day, not just these milestone moments, but pursuing their purpose, staying connected to Jesus and to one another. I think that that's just one that sometimes we forget as we are pursuing our individual purpose and our individual race. We forget that we're with a whole group of people, right? And we need each other. That's so good. Yes. So the three steps just to recap is to accept the love of God and to eliminate distractions and staying connected to community. So I hope that gives you some action steps, some things to pray on, some things to take to the Holy Spirit. And I hope it has inspired you. And I'm so grateful for Shannon. Thanks for joining me today and having this conversation. I hope it just encourages you guys and have a wonderful day. And don't forget, the best is yet to come. Thanks for listening to the Dream Planning Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to me if you could leave a quick five-second review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. You can also connect with me on Instagram at Horatio Printing or Polly underscore pain. Simply take a screenshot of this podcast episode, pop it into your Instagram story and tell me what you liked about it. Be sure to tag me so I can repost you. One last thing before you go, if you have a dream to create your own planner, devotional or journal, I would love to teach you my method for how to print your thing. I will teach you how to design it, how to print it and how to distribute it. I give all my students access to Horatio Printing's printer, and I will even buy your first sample for you and teach you how to do a Kickstarter to get all the pre-order money you need to get it printed. Sounds like a deal? Head over to HoratioPrinting.com backslash print school to enroll in print school today. And remember, you are so loved.